Welcome to The Way the World Works, where the trusted team behind the Tuttle Twins books tackles current events, hot topics, and fun ideas to help your family find clarity in a world full of confusion. Hi, Connor. Hey, Brittany. So it's kind of 4th of July season. I say kind of because on our end, it almost is. (laughs) By the time the listeners listen, it will be. So it's kind of 4th of July season, which is actually probably one of my favorite holidays of the year because one, you don't have to buy anybody a gift for it, which I like. There's not like a lot of pressure. I don't have to do a lot of cooking like I do on like Thanksgiving. So I like it. It's warm outside and hamburgers are my favorite food, cheeseburgers. So I feel like 4th of July is just like everything I love. And of course, U.S. history, which I forgot about the big part. (laughs) So I thought we would celebrate that today because I love the founding history. I think you do too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I want to kind of dive into the the unsung heroes, the people that don't get talked about often in uh, Revolutionary War history. So, you know, we know Jefferson, we know Washington, we know people like Sam Adams or Paul Revere. And for a good reason, right? These men did amazing things. But I had this great constitutional history teacher or professor in college, and he used to always point out remembering that there were founding mothers as well as founding fathers. Mm -hmm. And I really liked that. And so I want to talk about one today who I had actually never heard of until last year. So, Connor, have you ever heard of the mother of the Boston Tea Party? The mother of the Boston Tea Party. I feel like I have, and her her name is Sarah. Am I remembering that right? That that's true. Sarah Bradley Fulton. Sarah. So yeah. So she is who we're going to talk about today, and yeah. she was a real firecracker of a woman. So that's like how everybody described her, and I just I love that because I think back then women tended to be a little bit more reserved. But you got people like Abigail Adams, who was a little bit of a an outspoken woman herself, but everybody who met Sarah just described her as very outgoing and she didn't ever hide what she was feeling. So she lived in Medford, Massachusetts with her husband, John, but she was always in Boston because her brother Nathaniel lived there. And obviously Boston, especially and Massachusetts in general, was a big hub during during the revolution. That is where I believe that's where Sam Adams lived. Yeah. Okay. Sam Adams. There's too many of them. I can't keep track of them because John was not. John Adams was not Massachusetts. Was he? Uh, no. I don't recall. Yeah, I don't remember now. But a I pop quiz. I wasn't prepared for. Wait. A pop quiz. Yeah, he was. He was Massachusetts. I yeah, think. If he represented. He represented the British soldiers who. That's shot, yeah. That's yep. Uh, in the Boston massacre, so he was their attorney, and a lot of people were upset with him. How dare you? You know, represent. And he was so principled that he's like, look, everyone deserves legal representation. Everyone has rights. Um, innocent until proven guilty. And so he stood up and was willing to, it was very unpopular because Boston, like you're saying, was this big, like, you know, uh, hotspot of revolutionary activity. The Sons of Liberty, you know, were there. They were basically like like gangsters. They were threatening, yeah, they Sons of Liberty were threatening <laughs> people to destroy their property if they, you know, wouldn't support the Patriot movement. And uh, so John Adams, it was very unpopular for him to do that, but he did. So yeah, he was in that same area uh, working on that stuff too. We're going to have to do a whole episode on that trial because I think we've talked about John Adams before, but that whole trial and just standing on principle, I think, is one of the coolest stories about the American Revolution. So, all right, back to Sarah. So Nathaniel, her brother, um, his home was like at the center of all this revolutionary activity in Boston. In fact, on the weekends, like all the Sons of Liberty, and they'd be – they're kind of rowdy guys, right? They would fill his kitchen – and even he had like a carpenter shop next door. And that's where they would like come and speak of free freedom. And um, they they loved codfish supper. 
and that's what they would make for them. And I don't even I don't even know what a codfish tastes like, but I don't like seafood, so it doesn't sound good to me. <laughs> Sounds like a smelly house to me. Um, so they were there, like I said, they're kind of like a rowdy crew. If you know anything about the Sons of Liberty, like you said, they were almost like gangsters in a way, which isn't great, but but real characters. So this is where the planning of the Boston Tea Party took place. So like this is where all of this started brewing. <laughs> no pun intended. I actually didn't mean to do that. And then I did it and I was laughing at myself. <laughs> ah, I'm hilarious. All right. So Sarah would end up playing a really active role in, in this uh, tea party. So if you were caught participating in this, you were imprisoned, right? Like that was that was what was going to happen. And, and I don't know if you would have been, it may have been treated. Actually, I think it was treasonous activity too, but don't quote me on that. But you would have 100% been, uh, been imprisoned. So the plan, as a lot of you already know, was to disguise themselves as Mohawk Native Americans to conceal all their identity, right? This was like, right. that was their big, their big thing. Well, one thing I love about this, because it just kind of Puts, puts together how everybody played a role in this is that Sarah and her, I think it was sister-in-law, they helped like do their makeup. Like they helped put them in these disguises. Because let's be honest, Connor, do you make your own Halloween costumes every year? Oh, no. Your wife probably helps, doesn't she? Yeah, and, my, and before her, my mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I love that because everyone played their own, you know, unique role. It was like specialization. So while the men are out there throwing tea in the water, Sarah waited in the kitchen with a pot of hot water and cloth to help them remove their disguises as soon as they returned. Because I don't think we think about what happened after the Boston Tea yeah, Party, they didn't right? Want to get caught. They couldn't get caught. And so what that meant, they didn't have makeup removing wipes like we have today that are really <laughs> easy or even face soap, right? So it was literally like they would run home. And she would assist them in, in taking off the makeup and getting rid of the clothes. So um, she actually, this is how she got the nickname, the mother of the Boston Tea Party, because she was like the mom sitting at home waiting to take off all their their stage makeup, if you will, <laughs> after. So during the Battle of Bunker Hill, um, that, okay, I'm going to get confused now. I think, is that, that's not Lexington and Concord, or is it? And we it's, just get uh, Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's right there in that area. That's where that's the right. battle was was fought. So that was a very important part, and Sarah sprang into action, and she gave aid to the wounded men and was rallying other women to do the same. If you remember, at that time, when things like that are happening, and they're happening really quickly, it's really scary to kind of, you know, spring into action and, and start doing what needs to be done. But she really led that charge, um, and so she helped a lot of people. She didn't even remember one man um, who, years later, would actually come up to her randomly in public and thank her for removing a bullet from his cheek and saving his life. Yeah. So this is a woman who's very accomplished. And at one point during the war, too, there was this important letter that needed to be delivered to George Washington, who was a general at the time, behind enemy lines. And originally, Sarah's husband was asked to deliver the letter because um, everyone was aware of his like loyalty and his uh, extent to like knowledge of Boston. So they were a little bit worried because even though he had the knowledge, people knew who he was and he wasn't even able to go anyway. So... They were about to move on and ask the next person. And then Sarah stood up and she's like, I'll do it. And that was, I mean, this is this, you know, tiny woman who's decided that she's going to do this. Mm -hmm. And so they let her do it. She embarked on this dangerous journey, like in like undercover, basically, and did everything that she needed to do. And later, after the war was over, General Washington actually paid her a visit um, to her home to show his thanks. And she had just gotten this new silver punch bowl set. And one thing to remember back then, you're like China, your dishes and your your like utensils, things like that. That was a big deal. Like that was how you showed that like 
not even just wealth, but just that that was something people were very proud of in their homes. Yeah. And imagine getting this beautiful silver punch bowl. And the very first person to ever drink from one of her cups was George Washington. Hmm. Yeah. And she called this the proudest day of her life. So the punch bowl, the ladle, along with the chair where Washington sat, they're actually still in her family today. Oh, wow. Yeah. So pretty cool. So she had this huge, you know, passion, um, you know, for liberty. And that's not even the most exciting story. This one, and I would never have been able to do this. So listen to this story. So during the siege of Boston, British soldiers crossed into uh, Medford where she lived and they were looking for fuel. And their plan was to intercept a shipment of wood that was meant for the Continental Army, which was in Cambridge at mm -hmm. the time. So it was due to arrive that day. So Sarah caught wind of what was going to happen and started formulating a plan because she wanted to make sure the wood was delivered safely to Cambridge where it was needed. So she quickly called up John, her husband, to go meet the suppliers and buy the entire load of wood and bring it home. Like that was their plan. That's what they had so far. Well, she was not like naive, but she kind of hoped, and this maybe she was a little naive, she kind of hoped that her husband would like meet the soldiers and be like, hey, can I buy all the wood? And they'd be like, yeah, that's great. Like, here you go. But these are Brit British men. You know, he was about to ask British, you know, uh, not I guess couriers, you could call them, um, to to give them this wood that both sides needed. And so her her hopes were in vain, as they say. So John was able to purchase the wood without a problem. But on his way home, he met a group of British soldiers and the soldiers confiscated the wood. And what really bothered him, like he kind of expected that to happen, but he had paid for it. And so that was one of the things that was just, you know, even worse. It was his property as of that point. So Sarah gets word of what happens. I don't know how she found out so quickly. I'm not exactly sure how that happened, but she grabbed her shawl and went running to protect the wood that her husband had purchased because she believed it was her property and she was not going to let the British, you know, soldiers take it. So, I mean, imagine these British soldiers' faces. They think that they, like, it's one against a, a dozen of them, and and they think they've won this, and then they see this woman just charging towards them, shaking her fist, and she didn't even stop and ask them to return it. Instead, she walked right up to the oxen carrying the wood. I love this part. Grabbed the oxen by the horns and just turned them in the other direction. She didn't say wow. a thing. Yeah. Wow. So the men are shouting at her to stop, right? They're aiming their guns. They're threatening to shoot her if she did not let go of the oxen. And I think most people, well, I think most people would not have ever done that in the first place. But I think most people, if they saw that, would have would have let go of the, of the oxen. Um, if she was startled by all this, she never once gave that away. So while they hurled all these like threats in her direction and pointed guns she continued to lead the oxen towards her house shouting shoot away that's it that's all wow. she said so uh, and one thing because this confused me the first time i heard the story so the oxen were on a separate like they were carrying the wood and the soldiers were in a separate car so she's not carrying she's not pushing the oxen away with the soldiers mm -hmm. um in in tow on top of that but so maybe they were just like shocked or maybe they were just like there was a little bit of admiration for her because she was so like feisty and she, you know, was able to do this. They just let her pass. That's funny. Yeah. So, so she, oh, go on. I was just going to say, it's so interesting to me hearing stories like this, because as we've been working on our uh, new, new history book, our, our version uh, volume two of America's history, which covers from 1776 to 1791, uh, reading all these stories so that we could like share the the good stories, the true principles, all the kind of fun events that happened. 
it's so fascinating to me to think about for every person we we learn of the john adams the sam adams the john hancock george washington there's like a thousand or ten thousand other people who did amazing things or who sacrificed a lot or who were super influential and smart and yet they're kind of lost to history and and that's sad in a lot of ways i think because those stories could be very powerful but it seems like only a few bubble to the top and probably because we all have a limited attention span or whatever there's reasons but but stories you know learning about sarah and her influence there with the boston tea party it's like had she not done her part then those guys could have gotten in a lot of trouble if they were yeah. unable to, you know, uh, get out of their costumes and look like normal citizens again, right? And, uh, and and we don't talk about that. We don't talk about like, like even I'll, I'll use me as an example, right? I I go to conferences and I speak around the country and meet all these people, and everyone's like, oh, Tuttle Twins, oh, you know, and uh, and and they're you know thanking me and showering me with praise. And, and yet there are so many other people involved, certainly Elijah, who's the illustrator, without whom none of this would be happening because his illustrations are so awesome. But beyond that, we've got, you know, editors and designers and all these people, the marketing team. And and, and so it's um, Frederick Bastiat, who we based our first book off of. Uh, learn about the law, he has this concept, this economic concept, where he talks about that which is seen and that which is unseen. You've heard this uh, before, yep. Brittany. And so, you know, it's very easy to focus on what we can see. We can see the Sons of Liberty. We can see John Adams or Thomas Jefferson. These people are kind of in your face and and very large and loud in history. But what is unseen? What are the things that are hidden beneath the surface? And so Bastiat talks about how a good economist or a smart person will try to also focus on what is unseen, what is outside of the main view. Uh, what are those other things happening or, or people involved? And so I think whenever we're doing something big, whether it's a revolution against Great Britain or just something in our own lives, I mean, even dinner, you know, like mom making us dinner. Who are all the people that were involved in that? You know, having appreciation for uh, the people at the factory that you know put that together, or the gardener who you know grew that, or the farmer, or the all the people. It's kind of like a miraculous pencil. It takes so many people all working together to do those things. And I think history is the same way. We need Sarah and all the people like her, even if they're not super well known. They're as important as anyone else to kind of in total combine together and do these amazing things. Absolutely. And I think it's it's another point to be grateful for the fact that we have um, we can share information and stories so easily today. So it's easier for these stories because I think about, you know, there was not a lot of information on Sarah that I had to dig up. There was just wasn't enough available to me, like more than what you guys heard here. And you think about all the other people where there was no information, right, that, that you don't know anything about. And so that makes me really thankful for the technology we have where at least today, we can hear more of these stories. So yeah, our I thought that was oh, our, our ancestors, Brittany, are going to be tired of hearing so much of all of us, right? Oh my gosh, there's all these recordings and all these TikToks and so all many these- selfies. Mine are going to find so <laughs> many selfies. <laughs> <laughs> well, for those of you listening who don't yet have it, you're going to want to get our America's History book. And right now, if you're listening to this before July 31st, we're running a vacation giveaway where you can win your family a trip for four to Boston to see some of these sites that Brittany was mentioning and so many others where the revolution kind of the, was birthed, where it first took place. Every book you buy gets you an entry in the contest. There's other opportunities to win. 
go to tuttletwins.com history, and you're going to see not only do we have uh, one history book, we now have a second one. Volume two is now available. You can buy a bundle. If you don't have either of these books, you can get a big bundle deal for a discount and then enter to win into the vacation giveaway contest. It's worth up to like $7,500. Um, uh, and so it's just an exciting uh, thing that we're doing. I, I kind of want to go with whoever wins because I was just there last month taking photos and video and I'm like, oh, this is amazing. There's so much more to see. So head to tuttletwins.com slash history, get your family the books, get reading some of these inspiring stories of American history in the traditional fun Tuttle Twins way that makes it all super interesting for you kiddos listening um, and then enter win into the uh, vacation giveaway. So tuttletwins.com slash history. Brittany, thanks as always. And until next time, we'll talk to you later. Talk to you later. You've been listening to The Way the World Works. Make sure your family is subscribed and check out TuttleTwins.com for more awesome content.